He promises that he's coming again. And when he comes again, it's not going to be in guilt and it's not going to be in shame. When he comes again, it's going to be a power and it's going to be in glory and it's going to be in authority. Amen? That's the promise that we have from Scripture. And so that we, when we enter into Christmas season now, we can have hope because we have a king. And this king's name is Jesus. And at the end of the day, guys, when we start talking about hope, uh, isn't hope really just the expectation of things that are to come? Like, we're hoping that, that what we're going through right now isn't always going to be. There's this thing that we hold on to that we call hope, that we're hoping in a better tomorrow. That we're hoping that tomorrow is not going to be the same as what we are experiencing today. But unless that hope is based in someone or something can, that can actually change your reality, that hope then in point is hopeless. Unless our hope is based in someone or something that can change the reality, our hope is nothing better than just a wish at that point. You guys have your Bibles with you? All right, go ahead and open them up. Open them up, and we're going to be in Micah uh, chapter 5 in just a minute. And for you guys who are saying, Micah, that's in my Bible? Um, If you go to Matthew, which is the beginning of your New Testament, and just go back a few pages to the left, you're going to bump in to Micah. Um, but we're going to uh, do a little bit of work this morning, uh, and what I want to do is I want to I show you why millions of people spanning from decades upon decades and centuries and actually millennia upon millennia here, why they've had hope and they haven't yet given up on that hope. So we're in Micah chapter 5. Have you found it? Okay, we're in Micah. Um, this is probably one of the most overlooked passages when it comes to Christmas. Like, we're familiar with Isaiah 7 and um, the, the prophecy of a virgin who's going to give birth. We're familiar with Isaiah 9. Um, uh, you know, behold, hey, there were people who were walking in darkness and they've seen a great light. We're familiar with that. We're familiar with the passages in Luke and Matthew. Um, like, those things resonate um, with us. But when it comes to Christmas, I think Micah is one of these little passages that we often forget about. How, how many of y'all grew up going to church? Okay, we got, how many of you grew, grew up going to a church where you did Christmas plays? There were Christmas plays. How many of y'all were in a Christmas play? Yeah? TJ, what part did you play? So long ago. Who, who else said that they were in a play? What, 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 what part did you play? You were, hey, all right. The crowned jewel, you got it. How, Paul, what, what, was, what part did you play? One of the wise guys. Does that, does that feel fitting? Yeah. <laughs> who, who had to play a tree or a camel in here? Any, anybody? You had to walk around with a hump on your back? Yeah, like, we're familiar with the Christmas story because of the plays. We, we know about pregnant Mary and that she was making her way to, to Bethlehem. We know that it was a long journey and they didn't have an Uber, and so it was a, a, a treacherous kind of a trip that she had to be on. We know that Joseph was not a calendar guy because he didn't call ahead and reserve a room, okay? Any, any of you men out there take heat for that one, like not calling ahead and getting a hotel room? Um, one of the biggest fights, I think I can tell this because Ashley's not in here right now. One, one, one of the biggest fights that Ashley and I had was we were, she was hungry, and I think she was pregnant at the time, and those two things don't go well together in my house. 
Um, and we were on our way, and I can't even remember where we were going, um, but we, we stopped at a hotel, and because I hadn't planned ahead, okay, I just assumed that we would pick one on the way, and we pulled in, and I walked in, and I said, hey, how much is it? And they were like, this much, They're like, I am not paying that much, and so I got back in the car, and we went to another one, and I did the same thing. I, I said, hey, how much is it going to cost? And uh, they said, this is how much, and I said, uh, I'm not paying that. And I got back into the car. She said, are we staying here or not? I said, no, it's too expensive. And so we went to another one. She says, I don't care what it costs. You get a hotel, okay? And so every time that we've traveled since then, I've never been the guy who hasn't called ahead for a hotel because I know how that goes. For Joseph, he didn't call ahead. He didn't get a hotel. And we know that part of the story. We know the innkeeper. We know the stable. We know all that stuff when it comes to the Christmas story. We've seen the plays. But how do all those pieces fit together in a way that makes a difference? When it comes to Bethlehem, why was Bethlehem such a big deal um, in the Christmas story? Well, that's where Micah 5 comes into play. Now, Micah, he was a prophet. And what prophets did was that they got a, they were kind of the, the mouthpieces for God. God had a message, and when he had a message, he would tell it to a prophet. And that prophet, they had to go, and they had to go to a town, or they had to go to a city. And when they got there, they were to tell everybody what God had said. They were kind of like ancient Twitter, okay? Um, They were to to post the message, and then the expectation was that people were going to respond to it. And sometimes people did, but the majority of the time, people did not respond. Now, Micah, a prophet of God, he's got a message from God. And the message is all about a future king who's getting ready to come, uh, a king of Israel. And so um, here's the message that he has, and we're going to sum up the first four chapters, okay? Um, he says that you've had kings and you've had leaders. They've failed you. You've rebelled and you've turned your back on me. That's not a good idea. There's trouble and there's strife that's going on in your life, and it's self-induced. And this seems to be all that you have known and all that you ever do. But I want you to know, I haven't forgotten about you. I want you to know I haven't forgotten about you. Aren't there times in your lives when you kind of, you feel like maybe you've been in the category of receiving this message from God, from a prophet or from a person and be like, ouch, that hurts. Ouch, I, I, I feel like that. And then you begin to feel like, oh man, I've blown it. There, like there's no coming back for me. Isn't that when all these feelings come rushing in of, hey, man, like, you're an idiot. How could you, how could you forget to turn that in? How, how could you forget to do that thing? Oh, you did that again. You're the only one who would ever do something like that. You're, 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 the, only, you're the only one. The, the business that you've been working on for years and years, now it's going to fall to the ground. The marriage that you're a part of, it's over. There's no coming back from this one. And it's easy to believe that when we mess up, that there's no coming back for us, that there's no redemption for us, that there's no reconciliation that's possible for us. And if anybody could have been wearing a scarlet letter, if anybody could have been considered an outcast and had the blinking lights pointing at them saying, public enemy number one, God is completely done with you, there is no coming back for you, it would have been Israel. Because Israel was, they were God's people. And God had chosen them. And yet, even though they were God's people, they kept turning their back on him. But God says here, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm actually, I'm going to send you a king who's going to restore all things. And above all, he's going to bring you peace. Isn't that what everybody wants? You want peace in your life. You want peace in your marriage. You want peace in your home. 
You want peace on earth. You want peace in our political climate. You, you want peace in your situations at work. Like, like, we want peace. But why on earth would a holy God care enough to offer peace to a bunch of rebels who keep turning their back on him? Well, that seems to be a fair question. If this were any one of us and we had been burnt over and over and over again by somebody, how would you respond? Like some of us are, are, are a little more uh, patient than, than others uh, might be, but when we've been burnt time and time again and the person who has burnt us and we've forgiven them and then they come back and they burn our house down or they steal our stuff, we're not too apt to want to throw them a rope to help them up again, are we? No, like, like that's just not how, some of us, like we're, we're still holding grudges from second grade. Like, like somebody put gum in your chair, you're like, I'm never gonna forgive Sally. And like to this day, like you still haven't forgiven her. You still haven't forgiven him. You're holding on to things that happened seven years ago or two years ago. But yet here in this position, God has had his people turn his back, their back on him over and over and over again. So why on earth doesn't God just give up on them? Because he promised he wouldn't. He promised he wouldn't do it. He promised that he was going to send a new king. And the scriptures tell us in Numbers chapter 23 that God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he not said, is he not going to do it? When he says something, doesn't he keep his word? That's what scripture tells us. It points to the truth here that God in his very nature, this is who he is. He's honest. He's truthful. Do you guys remember back in Genesis chapter 3? Um, particularly verse, first, uh, verse 15. There's a really weird verse back there. Uh, Adam and Eve, um, they have, basically, they've destroyed creation. God created, it was beautiful and perfect, and Adam and Eve are there, and they uh, make some bad choices, and sin comes into the earth. And do you remember when God is like, well, you've done it now. What am I going to do with you guys? He doesn't do that, does he? Like, there are real consequences for their sin. He doesn't sugarcoat things and act like it never happened. He removes them and he kicks them out of the garden, which we find out later is actually an act and a move of grace, but he kicks them out. He doesn't act like everything is hunky-dory here. But even in this moment of kicking them out, he's not yet done with them. He promises that one day that he's going to restore peace. And peace as we know it, it doesn't mean the absence of problems, the peace that, that God was talking about and that Micah is going to talk about, and when we read in uh, the New Testament when Paul says that Jesus is our peace, the peace that he's talking about isn't just making uh, all our problems go away. It's a reconciliation with God. It's a settling of his wrath. It's being fully restored into his family. And so you have this little verse tucked in to Genesis 3, verse 15, where God says, hey, down the road, there's going to be this constant battling going on. And the offspring that, uh, of your seed um, is going to go at war against the offspring of the seed of the serpent. And there's going to be this constant battling back and forth. But don't worry, because the serpent is going to bruise his heel. But while that's happening, he is going to crush his head. He's going to crush his head. So why on earth doesn't God give up on his people? Because he promises that he wouldn't. He promises that he was going to send a new king, a king who was going to crush the head of Satan. And by doing that, he was going to be able to restore peace. And so Micah 5, verse 2, 
But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I want you to notice something significant here. Um, there's a lot of prophecy that is given throughout Scripture, and there's a lot of prophecy that's already been uh, fulfilled up to this point. And so a wise person would ask the question and say, how do we know that the prophecy that's given in Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2 and going through, how do we know that that hasn't already been fulfilled? How do we know that God or the message that Micah had at the time wasn't just uh, a promise of another king, an earthly king who is going to, to come and to fill that, that spot? Um, they already had a bunch of kings. So how is it not that this is just a, a, another one that was to come? Well, look at verse 2. Again, he's, Mike is obviously, he's pointing to, to Bethlehem here, okay? Bethlehem, um, it means, uh, anybody know what Bethlehem means? It means the house of bread. Doesn't that sound delicious? The, the house of bread, it just, like, you can just smell bread, like, kind of wafting up into your nostrils. The house of bread is the, the, the place that you would go when you're hungry. The house of bread was the place that you would go if you needed to be restored. Significant things have happened in Bethlehem historically. Um, Bethlehem is a place where King David was born. Bethlehem is the place where Ruth bumps into Boaz out in the middle of a wheat field. And that whole story starts. And then you get down to Jesse, and then you get down to David, and then it just becomes amazing. Bethlehem is now the place that is promised that this new king is going to be born. This is where he's going to be from. Great things tend to happen in this little insignificant town of Bethlehem. But here's where this little town and this king who's supposed to be born there is a little bit different than, than what had already been happening in Israel up to this point. This is how we know it's not just another king. Verse 2 but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth of me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Would you underline that last phrase there? Um, uh, coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Uh, the wording there, from old and from ancient of days, did you know that that's only used of God? It's only always used of God in reference to, to being here. What, what Micah was saying was that there is a king. He's going to be born in Israel. He's going to be human. But I want you to know that he's always been. There's never been a time that he wasn't. And the only one who's always been is God himself. So this king who's going to come, he is deity, he is God, but he's also going to be man. There's going to be a king, but this is no ordinary king. It's what John tells us in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so we see the passage here says that there is a king, and this king who's going to come 
has always been our king. His origin is from old, from ancient of days, but he's going to show up in Bethlehem. He's going, to, he's going to step down off the throne in heaven, and he's going to implant himself into humanity, and he's going to show up in Bethlehem. This is how we know this isn't just another king. There, there's one more verse that I want to uh, look at before we jump into probably some more familiar verses for us, and it's in verse uh, 4 and 5, actually. And he shall stand. Are you all with me so far? Okay. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Do you guys know one of the biggest complaints that God had against the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah? It's that the kings didn't shepherd his people well. They had a leadership position. They were chosen to be king. They were anointed as king, and they did not do that job well. They didn't shepherd the people. What, what, what's a shepherd supposed to do? What's a good shepherd supposed to do? You're supposed to take the sheep to water, right? You water your sheep. A, a good shepherd takes his sheep out into the fields where there is lush grass and they can eat. They, they make sure that there's something that can feed the entire flock. When the flock is tired, he takes and he makes sure that they can, uh, they can lie down in a place where they can actually get rest. When there is danger, a good shepherd isn't going to run away from the danger and just leave his sheep there to fend for themselves. The shepherd is going to stand in between the sheep and where the danger is coming from. But the biggest complaint that God had against the shepherds, the kings of Judah and Israel, was that they did not do that. They didn't. Um, they, they didn't care for the sheep. They didn't look out for the sheep. They cared for themselves. And when there was danger... They didn't stand between them and the danger. What happened was they actually pushed Israel into, they pushed them into rebellion. They pushed them into, and led them to walk against God. But this king, who's from of old, he's going to shepherd the people well. It says in the strength of the Lord, and they're going to be secure, and he's going to be their peace. And verse 5, and he shall be their peace. I want to reiterate to you what peace means. It's not that all of our problems get fixed. Now, we know that every king and every kingdom promises peace. Everybody wants peace. Every political candidate from whatever party that, that you ascribe to, every political candidate is going to say, I'm going to bring peace peace in, in, in my little section of the world, but I'm going to bring it as far as I can reach. Every kingdom ultimately needs to have peace if there's not going to be chaos there. Every home, every marriage wants peace. But peace here, again, it's not talking about an absence of problems. The peace that he's talking about is that God is going to bring reconciliation with himself through this new king. There's going to be a settling of his wrath. It's going to be a restoration into his family. We have hope because we have a king. We have hope because that king, in and of his very nature, is peace. Paul says in the New Testament that Jesus is our peace. Not that he just brings peace. He, in and of his very nature, is peace. And so that's what he's talking about when we're bringing a king. He's going to be this peace. And God promised that it was going to come in a king who, in his very nature, was this. So why on earth doesn't God just give up on people? Because he promised he wouldn't. He promised that he was going to send a new king. 
Now, I want to jump into uh, a few quick rapid-fire verses uh, here in the New Testament I think we're probably going to be more familiar with. And so, uh, would you flip out of Micah over into um, the New Testament into Luke? And we're going to be in chapter 1, okay? Somebody say, I got it when you get there. You guys are fast. Okay. Now, in Luke chapter 1, if you're Israel, it's been a long time since you heard the words of Micah. It's been a long time since, you've, or since the prophecy happened in Micah. It's been a long time since the last prophet spoke in Israel. And you're still waiting for this king to come. It's been like over 450 years, and there's still no king of theirs who's sitting on the throne. And when you've been holding on to hope for that long, your grip starts to get a little bit, um, uh, it becomes become a little bit more loose. Now, you've got to understand, Israel at the time, they've been tossed back and forth uh, from, from kingdom to kingdom or from ruler to ruler. And for them, nothing has seemed as it's supposed to be. They've declined as a nation, They've gotten sucked up by stronger militant nations and, and, or empires. And even in the midst of their waiting, they still don't have an Israeli king who's sitting on, on the throne. And so the very idea of a Davidic king who's going to come, for them, seems like a far stretch now. And the Roman Empire, not to mention, they're ruling in every aspect of life. Uh, and Eric uh, said last week, and it's a beautiful picture, that they have been under the foot or under the boot of Rome for so long. And when that's happening, it's hard to hold on to your hope. And so they've been waiting and they've been waiting and they've been longing for their hope to pay off, but nothing, there's just been nothing but silence. How can there be peace? How, how can this prophecy of Micah come true if, if, uh, if this king won't come? Instead of a king, what they've gotten so far has been pain, isolation, waiting, and thinking that God has forgotten them thinking that he's forgotten about the promise that he gave him that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back in the garden. Now, can you imagine waiting that long and the hope that you have being just kind of sucked out of your chest? The angst of thinking that God has forgotten about you? I think it's pretty easy for us to, to imagine that because there are things that we hope for and we sit in angst for that haven't yet happened. We look around the world and we say, Lord God, when are you going to come? When are you going to put an end to the things that I'm seeing? Just end all of this and take us home. The emotional turmoil that we feel when we feel like we've been forgotten, and that's tremendous. And we kind of joke and we laugh about FOMO, right? Like, like the fear of missing out. Like, isn't that real? If you feel like somebody's been a part of something and you've been forgotten or you've been left out, that sits deep into your soul, man. And you feel that. And so for Israel, the fear of being forgotten, the fear of being left out, the fear of maybe even that God has not only forgotten about you, but maybe he lied and that he won't bring the king and that he won't bring the peace that he promised, that's heavy. But God didn't forget. And God doesn't forget. Even when you feel like God's checked out, he's not forgotten. Even if it's been 450 years of silence, he hasn't forgotten. Even if you feel alone, he hasn't forgotten. And then on an ordinary night, like a lot of other nights that happen uh, throughout Judea, there's a, a whisper of God saying that the promise is coming. The promise is coming. Your shepherd is coming. Your shepherd is here. Here is your king. But he didn't come like people expected him to come. 
The people expected a warrior. They expected a soldier, a reigning king. (laughs) Nobody expected that the king was going to be a baby. Nobody expected a cradle. Nobody expected that. But here's what Luke says in verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And scripture doesn't say it here, but she freaked out and she fell on the ground. Not really. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There's a lot that is in this passage. There's a ton. But I want to read this again and tie it to Micah chapter 5 and verse 31. It says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus, it's the name that we know. It's the name that we know that we're saved by. But at the time, this was a common name. But there's nothing that was common about this man who was being born, this baby who was being born. Verse 32 says, He's going to be great, and he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Flip to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. This is how this plays out. In those days, a decree went out from Caesarea, or, or from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor over Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Does that sound like the, the plays that you were a part of growing up? I mean, you can almost smell the mothballs on the uniforms and the costumes that you put on, Right? And we played this story out over and over again. But if we peel back the layers and see what, what on earth is actually going on, there's prophecy that's being put together here. There was a king who was promised, and he's coming. And this is what's happening. Luke tells us that there is now a worldwide event that's taking place throughout the Roman Empire. And when he says that there is a whole worldwide event, he's talking about all of the, the, Roman, or the empire of Rome. That, that's the whole world to them at this moment. That's all they know. And so uh, Caesar Augustus, he's declared that all the people that are under his rule, that, that, that they need to come and they need to be counted. They need to be registered. The census was something that was done uh, every 14 years so that there could be a military count of all those who were in the kingdom and also so that they could tax the people. And everyone would come and they would give their name. They would give their occupation. They would account for um, the people who were in their family. They would talk about uh, what kind of property that they had. And so then the Roman government would know exactly how they were going to tax them and how much money they were going to get from them and if there was anybody who needed to be signed up for the military. And so everybody had to go back to their home of lineage in order that they might be registered. Well, Joseph 
was from the line of David. And so he needed to head back to where? To Bethlehem. Oh, Micah 5. Back to Bethlehem. Because that's where his family was from. Why is that important? Well, the king is supposed to come from the line of David back in Bethlehem. And he was a part of David's line. Here's what I want you to see. Nothing in Scripture happens by accident. What we have here is a pagan ruler who's calling people to go back to their hometowns and be counted so that he could tax them so he can sign them up for his global initiative of world dominance, right? He wants to count people. He wants their money. He wants to sign them up for the military. But it's no coincidence that at the time, Mary is pregnant. It's no coincidence that Gabriel showed up just eight to nine months ago and had a conversation with her. There is something much bigger that's going on right now. There is a sovereign God who is in control. And he is uh, in control of this whole situation right now. And he has made a promise. And he made it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And he says, I'm going to make good on that promise. He's sending them a king in Bethlehem where he promised that it would come from in Micah chapter 5. And so Jesus, the king of heaven, he left his perfect home sitting next to the Father. He becomes helpless. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. The place of his birth is not in a palace. It's not even in the courtyard of a palace. The place of his birth is in this smelly, dirty stable with all the animals, whether it's a barnyard, wooden stable, or it's a cave or another part of the house. It's not where a king was supposed to be born. The bed that he was laid in was a feeding trough. It wasn't a king-sized bed made for luxury. This one from of old, who's always been, that king is stepping into humanity. He's wrapping himself in flesh. And his throne that he's going to sit on, that's going to bring peace, wasn't in a palace protected by guards. It was in this dirty stable. <laughs> Nobody expected a king like that. Not one person. Look at, one more time, Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. After a lot of heavenly fanfare that takes place that we're actually going to talk about in two weeks, um, eight days after Jesus was born, he followed the Jewish custom, and he goes and he is uh, circumcised, which was common. Um, and at that moment, they gave him the name Jesus, which was the name that was given to him by, by God the Father a name that wasn't, again, too uncommon in the time. But, do you know what Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of... Yeah, go ahead. At the name of... Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus is our King. He is our King. He's the one who brings hope. He's the one who brings peace. We are in a Christmas season where we could get wrapped up in all kinds of things. And you should. Get wrapped up in the lights. Get wrapped up in the presents. Get wrapped up in your family. But what is it that you're truly getting excited about? Is it the hope of a king who sits on the throne who came once and who's going to come again? 
Or is it simply set in the gift that you're going to unwrap under a tree? This Christmas season, man, are you tired? Jesus is your peace. Are you overwhelmed? Jesus is your peace. Are you mad? Are you angry? Are you upset? Jesus is your peace. Are you waiting for something right now in longing and angst? Jesus is your peace. Are you looking for hope? Are you looking for meaning? Jesus is your, is your peace. Do you feel hopeless? Have you based your life on a few wishes? Jesus is your hope. And Jesus is your peace. Would you pray with me? Father, you, uh, you sent your son. He was seated next to you. Eternity, he's always been the one from old, of ancient days. You let him step out of heaven to come and wrap himself in flesh. I just love that you're not a God who lies that when you promise something, it's going to happen. And that we can look back and what feels like might be boring or feels like might be just tedious things in, in Micah. But we can look back and we can see your faithfulness to who you are, your faithfulness to your promises, and that you care enough about us to send yourself to the earth to be with us, to die for us, and to promise that you're coming again. And that's what we hope in today. You're our king. You're seated on a throne. And this Christmas, that's what we want to remember. Would you help us, Lord? It's just so easy to get wrapped up in so many things and all this stuff. But Father, in the midst of all that, may we push back the clutter for a minute to see an image of you seated on the throne in glory to which one day you will usher us into to be with you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, y'all aren't going to want to miss next Sunday because we have a Christmas play with our kids. That's going to be awesome. They've been working really hard on it for quite a while now. So make sure that you come and invite somebody to come along with you because it's going to be a really fun Sunday. Love you guys.